Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. You know, you can touch a stick of dynamite, but if you touch a venomous snake, it'll turn around and bite you and kill you so fast, it's not even funny. Steve Irwin. We had a rattle um, very, very close to us, and it uh, didn't take long to find it, about two meters away from us. Um, I think it was probably about a six-foot-long rattlesnake, um, just kind of lurking under the bushes, um, which definitely kind of uh, shook us awake into the fact that we are still in nature. Because um, except for the bear on day one, we hadn't really run into anything that you know we'd worry about, um, except the deer. So yeah, that was a, a good reminder. Uh, and also at this point, we we're probably the furthest away from the start of the trail and the end of the trail, so the worst possible point if you were to get bit. <laughs> I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. 
Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Hello, I'm Gabe. Hey, I'm Kevin. This is the John Freaking Muir Pod. And we listen to this podcast to get ready to fast pack the JMT in under six days. Welcome back for another week on the trail. Before we get to this week's guest, I want to give everyone a quick update on listenership. A couple of weeks ago, the pod was in the top 10 wilderness podcasts in Germany and Mexico. In fact, we topped out at number two in Mexico. We are holding steady with listeners in 34 countries, and we are just missing three states now, Alabama, Maine, and Wyoming. So that means I owe a big welcome to the pod to, the pod, to Delaware and Rhode Island. I knew you guys could do it. Now I'd like to welcome back to the pod our outstanding trail correspondent, Rob. We've given him a couple of months to get out on the trails, have some adventures, and now he's reporting in on those. Welcome back, Rob. Good evening, Doc. Thank you for the invite again. It's great to be back, and I'm glad that our first uh, first chat obviously went well. That you want to have me back on here. Absolutely, and I know I said I said I've given you a couple of months, but really the last two or three weeks it's been nothing but but flames up and down the coast, and so I doubt that you've had much of a chance to get out on the trails recently. Yeah, not too much. It's been uh, yeah, it's really thrown up a few of my plans to be honest. These uh, these fires, but uh, there's nothing you can do, unfortunately, and. Uh, Looks like uh, they might be getting better on the horizon. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much itching to get back out there on the bike and do some hiking and hopefully kind of salvage the rest of this season before the cold weather comes. Rob, did you know that your first episode was the 17th episode of the pod? And this week's episode is our 35th. So that means uh, going about that pace, I need to get you on the, on the books for episode 51 or 52, somewhere around there. Yeah, perfect. I'll, uh, I'll stick it in the calendar now for another few months. Um, yeah, it's been it's really interesting to kind of see the different people you've had on the pod. Um, yeah, it's a lot of variety. Very interesting. Uh, keeps me entertained on a Saturday morning when we're stuck inside. <laughs> Do you have a, a favorite character thus far? Um, except myself, I guess. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, Johnny from Ireland. Um, that, was, that was pretty interesting. Um, and I'm still, I'm a little bit behind, actually. I have a few to catch up on still. Uh, and then uh, Steel Carter as well. That was an interesting listen. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Those, are, 
both great. All right. Hey, uh, you're a, a longtime listener and a participant on the pod, so I don't get, have to give you a whole lot of instructions on the pro tip inside of the week. You know how that works. I'll turn to you sure. at the end yeah. and, and ask you for your tip. And let's get down to it. Where do we start, Rob? W- which adventures are we going to talk about this episode? I think this episode, we'll, uh, we'll jump into the High Sierra Trail, which is uh, pretty much my most exciting adventure of this year. And pretty grateful to have the opportunity to have got out and done that as well. There was a, a few moments where I wasn't sure if it was going to happen due to uh, national park closures, et cetera. But uh, yeah, luckily made the most of a gap in the gap in COVID for that. Um, yeah. And then also uh, excited to share a bit about uh, a bikepacking trip that I recently went on as well. Okay. Very good. So High Sierra Trail, when did you take that trip? Yeah. So High Sierra Trail was, uh, that was mid-July, I think, um, which was seemed like a perfect time to go really the snow had obviously it was always snow year as well so i think probably in previous years people have uh probably run into some snow at that point as well um but a really great time to be out there plenty of water um we were super lucky with the weather as well we had rain for about five minutes on one day um but it was, i think it was also unseasonably warm as well um i was expecting some pretty chilly nights especially up at like 10 11 000 feet um but it was really nice like the warmest temperatures i've ever backpacked in the sierras so yeah, somebody was looking down on us and gave us a nice trip. Nice. Can you give us a, a general description of the, you know, the details of the trail? You know, where does it start? Where does it finish? How many miles? Any kind of uh, altitude gain that you're aware of? For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, for those listeners that haven't heard or don't know about the High Sierra Trail, um, this really cool trail starts uh, off in Sequoia National Park on the west side of the Sierra Nevada. Uh, and from there, it, I think it's the only kind of trail that will traverse the whole of the Sierra Nevada, going from west to east. Um, so you starts, go up over. Starts at Crescent Meadow, is that correct? That's it, yeah. Crescent okay. Meadow in Sequoia National Park, yeah. And there's, I think there's a few other little trailheads as well. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're right amongst the Sequoia trees. So you're right in the heart of the National Park, which is cool. And pretty much like a general overview of the trail is uh, you go heading east um, and you go up over. Kawaya Gap, which you can see if you stand on top of Morrow Rock, it's called the Great Western Divide. So it's pretty daunting when you, we were looking uh, from Morrow Rock the day before we started, thinking we had to go up and over that in a few days. So a little daunting, but uh, it wasn't too bad to climb. And then from there, you drop into Kern Canyon. And then eventually you, uh, you pop out at uh, the summit of Mount Whitney, um, which is a really cool way to end the trail as a GMT finishes there as well. Um, yeah, so a really cool, that was kind of the appeal for me of doing this trail was it that I could do across the whole Sierra Nevada. I think that would be a pretty cool accomplishment. So that's what uh, drew me to this trail as well. And I figured this would be uh, a great warm up for the JMT because uh, it would give us some acclimatization uh, and just have a few nights at altitude as well. That's right. And refresh my memory have you done the JMT before? I haven't, no. So sadly, okay. uh, if, all, if this year had been a normal year, I guess I would be uh, on the trail right now and I'd probably be, uh, yeah. So my permit was due to. Uh, go out of Happy Isles last Sunday, actually, which was a right when uh, it was getting pretty crazy with, I think, the Creek Fire, which is the one in the in the Sierra Nevada right now. Um, so, yeah, sadly, had to make the decision uh, a few days before to officially cancel that. I had a kind of a feeling it probably wasn't going to happen anyway, uh, leading up to it, due to everything going on. So, sadly, wasn't the year, but uh, look forward to the next year, I guess. Yeah, I apologize because I know that if I had my my choice between hiking on the JMT or talking to me, uh, I'd definitely pick <laughs> hiking on the JMT. So I'm I'm For a, sure. a, yeah. a sad second choice. Yeah, but I imagine, yeah, similar for a lot of people. I think a lot of people also were 
probably more optimistic than me and pretty much were ready to go to Yosemite with their bags packed, I think, right before. And I uh, see a lot on the Facebook pages, a lot of people talking about it and cancelling on the morning or the day before. So, yeah, very sad for a lot of people. Yep, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Now, how many people did you did you do the High Sierra Trail with? So on the High Sierra Trail, uh, there were three of us. And uh, we all live up in uh, Davis in Northern California. And we all connected uh, through, un- through the university uh, two of us are graduate students and the other guy, he is uh, graduated now and he actually just moved up to uh, Seattle recently. Uh, so the two of us are hoping to go up there and uh, meet up with him and do some hiking up in some of those national parks sometimes because that seems like a really cool area of the country uh, that I've been meaning to check out. All right, some good hiking up there for sure. Definitely. Yeah, so there was uh, myself and then there was Casper uh, and Hilden. Um, and yeah, the three of us, uh, we decided to do this a pretty short notice, to be honest. I kind of, I kind of figured it would just be me uh, doing this high Sierra trail solo. Uh, I figured a lot of people wouldn't be able to kind of get a, get organized short term because I had a few spare permits. But uh, luckily the guys didn't want to miss this opportunity as well. Um, so it worked out really well. Let's talk about your travel arrangements. How do, how do three guys get down from, from Davis down to Crescent Meadow and then exit out at Whitney uh, and get yeah. up? Yeah, so it would have been uh, it would have been really fun in a normal year to kind of just have to drive half of what we ended up doing and take the shuttle. Um, but unfortunately, due to the no no shuttle operations from COVID, um, we had to drive ourselves. So oh, that's pretty right. Much take two separate cars, and it ended up being something like twenty seven hours driving total in the end. Um, <laughs> so it was like just over two days of driving for like, and we did like five days of hiking. So it pretty much ended up being like a seven day trip in the end. Um, yeah, the driving's pretty brutal. It's uh, luckily it's a pretty drive from Davis because we go uh, up to Tahoe and then we pretty much take the three nine five all the way down to um, Whitney Portal. So that's where we that's where we met up um, before hiking, and we kind of left a car there, and then had to drive all the way south, like as if you go, and then all the way under the Sierra. So from there it was like another seven hour drive just to get into the park. Um, so it was a mission before we'd even started. To be honest, like we were pretty tired just from the driving, but. Uh, in a way that made it, we were more excited just to start hiking in the end. 27 um, hours. You could drive halfway across the country in 27 hours. I know. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. All for a, all just for a hike. But um, it, there was definitely a few people we were in. There, we really didn't run into too many people on the trail. Um, but those that we did, uh, coming from, there was two guys coming from the Midwest and somebody from the East Coast. And for them, they like their operations and like logistics seemed even crazier than ours. They got to... I just get a plane to like various places then try and like try and hitchhike and find people that were like going in the same direction as them and yeah so shout out to them for making that happen as well uh i might have turned back after like hanging around at an airport or a bus station for a while yes so 27 hours in the car how many hours on the trail did you guys do a comparison that way um i i, I think i i tried to strava some of it and then my uh my garmin watch died eventually my i was tr- testing out a new uh solar charger which didn't work that great unfortunately so i think i got like the first two and a half days recorded on my watch and then lost the other few but pretty much um so we yeah we started um at 7 a.m on our first day of hiking and then um so i guess it, yeah and then we finished on the fifth day come the afternoon and we were pretty much hiking for about um i want to say seven hours a day uh not too much more than that i think we were yeah, we pretty much set ourselves 15 mile daily targets, which would finish us off nicely on the fifth day. Um, so yeah, we always kind of rolled into camp at around like 3.30, which was perfect, giving us plenty of time to relax and enjoy ourselves. 
So seven or eight hours a day for five days. So you're, you're looking yeah. at maybe, you know, 35, 40 hours of actual right. yeah. trail time and you, yeah. you spent 27 hours in the car. So that, <laughs> yeah. that's quite the ratio. <laughs> as long as we did more hiking than driving, it was a win, I guess. Yeah. 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 And you may not have listened to my episode with Mike Chambers, um, the host of Beat Monday. He and his buddy, you know, their whole, their whole goal of their show is to spend the 60 hours from quitting time on Friday to when you have to show up to work on Monday and just jam pack it with adventure. And so he, nice. he shared a story where they, they hiked up Mount Shasta and skied down and then got in a car cool. and drove down to Whitney portal and then hiked up Whitney up, up Mount Whitney and skied down. And oh, I, wow. I, thought, I thought that car drive sounded painful. Yeah, sounds, that's yeah. It's a long way. That's uh man. That's yeah. It's a busy weekend. Yeah. But, uh, it is. yeah. 20, 28,000 foot of uh, climbing, I guess. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 That was good. Yeah. Okay. So you get to Crescent Meadow, you and your two buddies, and you leave at uh, seven o'clock on the first day, seven a.m. And take us through what uh, your your starting and stopping points. Uh, what were the highlights of the trip? Yeah. So I mean, actually, for us, I think the adventure started even uh, the day before because we uh, when we rolled into Whitney Portal at about uh, eight p.m. the night before, uh, we saw a bear immediately, like rolling its way across the uh, the parking lot. So. Felt like that was a good sign for the start of the trip. Uh, it had been a few years since I'd seen a bear, uh -huh. but literally as soon as we like came into the parking lot, where there's a sign saying bear activity, there's just this huge old black bear just kind of like checking around people's cars, um, which is pretty fun. And yeah, he was he was very tame, um, which is obviously bad. Unfortunately, um, it's not scared of us at all. Um, and we had to definitely keep an eye on everything while we were kind of using the bear boxes that are in the parking lot. Um, and he actually. Uh, I went to the, uh, the, the bear box to put my food in and I came back just to pick up a few more things and he'd already put his uh, paws up on the, my uh, truck bed. So yeah, we got, uh, we got pretty close to this one and uh, plenty of people were trying to shoo him off. Yeah. You say that was so, Whitney Portal? Yeah, that was up at Whitney Portal, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we left. That was where we were going to finish. So we left a car up there and we slept, uh, we slept there for the night um, and then we drove around to score the next day and then, uh, then we pretty much just kind of slept uh at the trailhead essentially um pretty much just like off in the trees i know you're not supposed to really camp there but uh we don't have any other options we wanted to be off early the next morning so mm -hmm. yeah so we had actually two nights of camping before we even started which was nice as well just uh because the main wouldn't portal is something like eight thousand feet so that kind of helped um to get us off to a good start and uh sleeping on the ground yeah but actually before you before you take off on the trail uh what was your what was your kit for the trip what kind of yeah so let's see i'm trying to think if uh, there was anything new from uh, what we talked about previously um i was using a um a 20 degree keldy uh sleeping bag uh which i really enjoyed recently uh, for all my trips it's nice and compactable which shows i took uh bikepacking as well which is pretty nice uh, i used my 50 liter osprey backpack which i was i was a little curious if it was gonna be big enough um because i hadn't done too many very long distance trails on uh on a 50 liter, but actually it uh, worked out perfectly. Um, I already packed as light as I've ever packed a thing on a trip, pretty much just kind of one, uh, one different shirt and one uh, warm jacket for the evening. Um, and in terms of food, I packed very minimally. I was, I packed the food knowing that like, it's not spent any longer than uh, six days out there. So yeah, luckily we finished on time. Um, interestingly, Casper, uh, who I was hiking with you, uh, he's, he's from England as well, actually. And he's doing his uh, graduate studies here up in Davis as well. Um, 
and he's been backpacking quite a long time. And he had this 100-liter backpack that he had since he was 12 years old. And he was determined he wasn't going to buy a new one and you know, this was going to work for him. Um, full credit to him because he carried that thing for the whole trail. And uh, he uh, he put a lot of food in that as well. And he really uh, stocked up. I don't, he was probably carrying about 80 pounds of stuff in the end. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was uh, it was quite... And then there was our other friend, Hilden, who was carrying the... Um, the ultralight frameless backpack so we were kind of like a, a good mix of what we were what we were carrying but it all worked out really well we all hiked at the same pace which uh, which was nice yeah it sounds like like an eclectic mix there i mean you, you guys could it have was interesting like, taken some video of each of you and, and and uh shared your different approaches to the trail for sure absolutely yeah we're all uh we're all about two foot apart in terms of height as well so we made uh, for a pretty interesting photo i'll have to send some across so was Cat um, was Casper the short guy carrying the eighty pound pack? No, fortunately not. Casper's <laughs> Casper's uh, what what very tall, so uh, I worked well for his uh, his huge pack. I never seen uh, one quite so big for a backpack in California. Nice. Um, yeah. So setting out from Crescent Meadow on day one, super excited. Uh, we only saw one other group of people at the trailhead, um, and they asked us how long we planned to do it in, and we said five days, and. Uh, they seemed pretty shocked and uh, they said good luck and they, they were planning to be out there for about eight days, I think. Um, and having done a lot of research, like I hadn't read too many stories of people doing it in five days, but um, breaking down the mileage as we planned it, like how bad could it be, I guess, <laughs> when we started out and luckily we managed to stick to that. Um, but it definitely, definitely could have been nice to spend a few more days, um, 50 mile days, even though we did get to camp by about 3 p.m. They were, they were pretty long hiking days and we were pretty tired. So for our listeners, how, how, what is the mileage of the High Sierra Trail? Oh, yeah. So I believe it's uh, about 72 miles to, and that's the Whitney portal. So if you, when you start the hike, you have the big sign right at the start. This is High Sierra Trail. And I think it says uh, 68 to Mount Whitney. Uh, I think it's all 64 or something. Um, but then it's, then it's all downhill back to Whitney portal at the end. So I think it's just over 70 miles in the end. So how many miles a day is that? That's uh, like... 14, 15 miles a day? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of how we broke it down. So we figured we'd, uh, on the final day, we'd be out kind of late-ish in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what it was, yeah. So that was our target, and we stuck to it. Um, Yeah, I talked to a couple of guys this past episode, Gabe and Kevin, who did the the entire John Muir Trail, 211 miles in five days and 23 hours. Yeah, that's that's insane. I uh, I'm yeah looking forward to listening to that episode probably uh, later this week. Um, yeah, that, that's insane to me. Like I got uh, I got really interested in kind of the FKT website for the fastest known times, kind of looking at some stuff. And I think I think somebody did the High Sierra Trail in sixteen hours, something crazy like that. Uh, probably I think they were coming from east to west, I guess, um, and were running it. Um, but yeah, it's yeah anyone that does the, the GMT, I think in under under ten days, to be honest, is. It's a bit superhuman, so yeah, I look forward to listening to that episode. Yeah, Rob, if you if you would have done the High Sierra Trail in sixteen hours, you wouldn't have needed a bear canister or or, well, exactly. or an extra shirt. I mean, you just for sure just go. <laughs> People as wide as they got see that's the ultimate we'll trail. That's right. No tent, no sleeping bag. No, nope. good to go. Yeah, all right. Day perhaps. So you guys leave Crescent Meadow, and and uh, what are the what are the memorable sites on that first day, and where do you end up that night? Yeah, so it's it's a really well um, built out trail. I think the High Sierra Trail because you get these stunning vistas um, pretty much on every day. I would say. Um, so I remember coming out of Crescent Meadow like shortly after like twenty minutes. You 
you come out to the expanse of the valley that is leading from Morro Rock all the way up to the Great Western Divide, which is kind of what you're following parallel. Um, so you get these stunning views all the way across the valley very early on, and you're hiking kind of on this, uh, on the shallow cliff. Um, so you get, you get to follow that for essentially kind of most of the first day, which is great. And then um, I remember- the, 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 views, the views from that path on the side of the cliff are just yes. amazing. I have yeah. not done the whole High Sierra Trail, but I have done from Crescent Meadow out to yeah. uh, Precipice Lake, which is just up, up yes. beyond uh, Hamilton Lakes, and yeah. then back I, I, again. And that yeah, was... I would say you probably uh, probably saw some of the best scenery just from that, how many days that was, because I remember particularly, I think day one might have been one of my favorite days because of that. Um, and then Precipice Lake is really cool. And then uh, Hamilton, climbing up from Hamilton Lakes is one of the one of the neatest places in the Sierra, I think, that valley. Um, some of the great, yeah, beautiful uh, Granada cliffs. I wonder if Alex Honold has uh, seen any of those, because it definitely looks like some uh, climbing ones up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, I've got I've got a couple of pictures of my son from a distance, kind of standing out over a promontory, and it just looks yeah. absolutely primordial. It just, just it does, incredible. yeah, yeah. And I I kind of tried to be careful not to. Uh, I try to do this with trips, not to kind of do too much research and look at too many photos, because then sometimes it can take away from it. I think when you actually get there in person. But I definitely saw a few photos, and it uh it was yeah more impressive than I could have imagined. So. That was, uh, yeah, definitely a very special place in the Sierra where they built this trail. Um, and it's great because it takes you across so many kind of different ecosystems. Like, I mean, even day one alone, we started amongst the meadows and the sequoia trees. And by the end of the day one, you're right amongst the towering granite cliffs. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, such a great change of scenery just in one day, which is the beauty of the Sierra, I think. Yeah. Did you did you stop and camp that night at Bear Paw Meadow or did you push on to Hamilton? No, we decided to push on. So we planned it out that we would uh, sleep at Hamilton Lakes on that first day. Um, I think we had lunch at Bear Paw Meadow. We we actually, yeah, we I was pretty impressed. We started off at a pretty good fast rate doing about, uh, about three and a half miles an hour for the first kind of morning. Uh, had a bit of lunch at Bear Paw Meadow and then uh, pushed on. And I think we reached Hamilton Lakes by that was probably the latest day i think we got there at about 4 15 p.m mm -hmm. um and kind of the theme of the trip was uh how quiet it was out there there was probably only uh three other sets of people that was two couples and i think one group before um i would expect that on a normal year to be crazy crowded by this point um probably because people spent maybe one or even two nights up there because it is so pretty um so yeah we made it to hamilton lakes and uh and we had a swim in Hamilton Lake, which was which was pretty cool. Although there is that, I don't know if you guys went in, but um, there's a very kind of like cliff, like uh, pretty steep and slippy as you try to go in. So as yeah, you, took it, you know, I am. Out and we thought, since I am familiar with that part of the High Sierra Trail, I got some questions for you about that that about that segment. Perfect. So, <laughs> well, first of all, what did you think of the glamping opportunities at uh, Bear Paw Meadow? They're, they had some cabins up there. and Oh, yeah, they did. I know that yeah. when we went through, there were there were people yeah. in those cabins, and they, they had like yes. a chuck house, and they were, you know, they, they cook up these great – I mean, it smelled great uh, did, as opposed yeah. to us. We didn't smell too good, but uh, yeah. I felt a little bit jealous about the glamping opportunity. No, there. definitely. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I read just before our trip, actually, it was uh, – they obviously closed it for the year and weren't having any people staying up there. But, uh, yeah, when we got there, I could definitely see why people want to – spend their first night or their second night up there because um yeah a nice structure right in the middle of nowhere it's kind of it's a nice piece of uh, engineering they did up there and pulled all the wood up there and made it um yeah would not mind uh sleeping in a cabin for a night to be honest um i think more of kind of some of the european style backpacking that's really where they have kind of those uh, those huts up there um 
yeah, be a nice place to come back on a, maybe a slower trip and uh, maybe bring my dad or something out there and see if he'd be interested in uh, glamping it up a little. Yeah, to get my wife out there, I need to definitely throw in a, a glamping opportunity like that. So for sure, yeah. <laughs> but I was, yeah, I was impressed, uh, impressed pretty much throughout the whole trail um, with all of all of the bear boxes that they had actually uh, already dropped into. Like every night, I think there was a a pre-put uh, bear box, which I didn't realize in hindsight I would have brought more food. I think knowing that, um, which is cool, um, and all the uh, kind of the pit toilets as well that are variously located. I wasn't really wasn't expecting those as well. So yeah, quite a pretty nice trail in all aspects of it yeah pretty glamorous i mean that's not even it was yeah i know yeah hardly had to use your shovel no no yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so there's also that that moment when we the trail takes you across a bridge and it looks like a fairly new bridge and you get oh yeah you get you get you're in the middle of this chasm standing on this bridge and if you look down into the chasm you see where the you see the old bridge down at the bottom of that all mangled uh, yeah, I remember that distinctly from uh, your episode on the High Sierra Trail. And I remember you talking about that. And I kind of forgot until we hit that bridge. And I looked down and saw it. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad they built a new one because that's yeah, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely much improved on their previous one. Um, yeah, that was a really cool uh, kind of waterfall canyon that was there. Very mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely one of the cooler sites on the trail as well. Yeah, and my last question about this segment was did you run into any deer? Uh, up up at Hamilton Lakes, there were there were some deer yeah. there when we were there that were very fond of of our shirts, our trekking yes. pole uh, uh, handles, and and jukebox's hat. Yeah, um, yeah. Another theme for our trip was we pretty much kind of run into wildlife on a daily basis, and I think we had we had some over friendly deer pretty much on every night. Um, definitely the first night when we were camping by the trailhead, we had two deer that just didn't want to leave us alone. And um, yeah, so pretty much as soon as we set up camp at uh, Hamilton Lakes, we had a very friendly deer uh, poking around camp. And um, waking up the next morning, Casper's uh, shirt had gone missing. Um, we thought it might be marmots, but uh, we think it was probably the deer. Um, and, it, and he found it right down pretty much in the, on the shoreline for Hamilton Lakes. Like, surprised it hadn't even floated out into the lake. It was kind of half in, half out. Um, so it obviously taken it down, I guess, trying to get the sweat out of uh, his shirt. Um, which is a, uh, and it actually nibbled quite a few holes in his shirt. So we uh, decided to give him the trail name Holes uh, early on in the trip. Nice. Um, yeah. So got to, yeah, it was pretty funny. So, so now Casper is not your friend, um, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, who, who passed out, uh, was it Rainier or Shasta? Oh, no. Um, no, that was, uh, Casey. Um, Casey Naps. We gave him that yeah, name, Naps. right? Naps. Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't he come was. on this trip. He didn't know he would now he was too busy sleeping um, well, <laughs> <laughs> got to get him one got to get him one, one soon um and that uh, that was uh manchester uh with casey taking a taking a nap at about eleven thousand feet in the snow that's right um, yeah casey uh, unfortunately couldn't make it on this trip he was uh hope to get him out soon though on one um yeah so yeah casper got uh we decided to give him the name holes for his that's uh right. perfect running with the uh running with a deer on the first night yeah yeah was it all was was the shirt besides having holes in it was it all slimy from from deer saliva yeah it was, it was pretty gross yeah, yeah. so it was, it was still pretty damp come the morning so we uh decided to kind of hike shirtless for the the next morning just kind of dried off um yeah he wasn't too impressed well that makes me happy that, that i know that that deer i'm sure it's the same deer uh, still sure still, still there exactly. still welcoming uh, backpackers and getting, getting yeah. salt licks so that's yeah, awesome I give them grief yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so you spent the night at Hamilton and then uh, found uh, Casper's shirt, and then you guys head on up over the gap? Yeah, so we decided to, uh, yeah, as I said, I think earlier it was pretty unseasonably warm, I think, um, mm -hmm. on the trail. So we're definitely struggling in the heat by around like mid-afternoon on the previous day. So we decided to, uh, especially with the way Hamilton Lakes is with the sun, would kind of hit the expo exposed cliff that we were climbing up. Um, we decided to get up there pretty early uh, and do that in the shade. Um, and I think we pretty much nearly reached Precipice Lake by the time the sun had already hit us, uh, which was cool. Um, but that climb up towards Precipice from Hamilton is is pretty awesome, um, especially like the um, the cut through with the rock that they um, they, they build that trail. That's uh, that's crazy. I mean, such a cool bit of engineering. I mean, crazy thing to build that trail, uh, but a really cool feature. So with it being so unseasonably warm, I know that when when we um, when we went, uh, there was a big ice column kind of at the back of that canyon that you had to go below yeah. beneath the ice column was was that there at that time or was no, it no there was uh no there was nothing um i do remember it as well from your podcast and the photo mm -hmm. you put uh on instagram from that trip and i uh i looked out for that but no there was i don't yeah i don't know i, I reckon the snow probably melted even like a month at least before we got there um yeah even up on the the highest tips of uh, the mountains, there was there really wasn't too much snow at all. Um, so precipice precipice was not was not frozen over. No, no, there was zero, uh, pretty much zero floating ice until if I remember in precipice, it was just uh, yeah, completely made it very clear water obviously for us to see. But uh, yeah, zero snow up there. You've got to send us some pictures of of precipice lake and also the the Definitely. trail uh, heading up yeah. there. I want to post those. So I like to see those. Yeah, it'd be interesting to compare to your guys' pictures as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's always interesting to see from year to year the differences. Yep. Yeah, so getting up and over precipice, uh, I think we made that pretty early, probably by 9 a.m., which was nice. So we had a bit of breakfast up there. Um, and actually, at the top of precipice, we did run into uh, an ultra runner. Uh, sadly, wasn't in a mood for stopping uh, to chat, so I think he might have even been going for a, an FKT attempt, perhaps. Um, because from the direction he was coming, he, he pretty much had zero gear. He had a very small backpack and a, kind of some of those little water things that they put on the straps. Um, yeah, so that'd be interesting to wonder who he was and uh, if he was successful. I'll try and check out on the website. He was moving, moving at a pretty fast clip. Yeah, he was hauling. Um, and I wonder where he came the night before as well, because it's pretty high up there um, at that elevation by that point. So he looked like, yeah, he was hauling down to Hamilton and probably getting straight out of there the next uh, by lunchtime back to it, it fascinates me the characters you run into out on the trail in the middle of nowhere and you think Absolutely. that you're in the middle of nowhere and yet here here somebody is that shows up that looks like they have no equipment whatsoever or they're in yeah. you know slacks and loafers you're like how how did this person get out here no absolutely yeah you, you gotta wonder sometimes yeah it's <laughs> uh yeah yeah i'm curious uh how long how long it, when he, if he left whitney portland how long it had taken him yeah and then, so we we never went higher than Precipice. We turned around and went back mm -hmm. down to Hamilton uh, on our trip. But you you guys kept going up and over, right? Yeah, so we probably, yeah, we were pretty tired at this point. And we were hoping the climbing would be done for the day. But I think we still had another eight or 900 foot climbing from Precipice to uh, get up and over uh, the Great Western Divide. Um, so it took us about another hour or so. Um, but then suddenly right at the top, you get this... Uh, you suddenly get your first look of where we're going to be hiking for the next couple of days. And uh, kind of Sequoia is behind us as we're looking east um, into the next valley down and very different change of scenery pretty quickly. Um, 
this pretty exposed and barren past a precipice. And it was nice to look down into kind of the, the lush green valley that we'd be hiking in for the next two days. Um, so that was really enjoyable uh, to get back down to there. And there was a lot of, a lot of water everywhere, um, which was nice. Um, and then, so this is day two right now. And uh, we camped at Moraine Lake uh, on day two. So I think this was, a, uh, this was about a 14 mile day, I think we calculated. Um, and that, that seemed to be kind of a, a pretty good stopping point. Uh, there was a bear box at this lake. Um, and there was uh, two other guys there as well. Um, and Moraine as well was a really nice lake to swim in. Um, every time I've kind of swum in the Sierra, it's been freezing. Um, but we were really pleasantly surprised by, definitely Hamilton was pretty comfortable to swim in. But uh, Moraine too was even was even warmer, which was, I think we were probably at about 9,500 feet at Moraine Lake. Uh, could be wrong, maybe a little less. Um, but it was, it was pretty lukewarm, the water, but it's so clear really? as well, um, which I was really surprised at. But I guess just the heat of the sun for the last couple of weeks and the kind of the little mini heat wave must have just kind of kept it pretty warm. But we went, we swam fairly deep and it kind of, yeah, it really wasn't too bad at all. Um, yeah, when I think of, when I think of lakes in the Sierra, I do not think yeah. of uh, warm as, as no, a me, no, me neither, no. No, I would typically uh, not swim, to be honest, myself from up, up there, knowing that they are going to be that cold and always worry about kind of keeping warm, uh, especially, you never know, uh, some of the nights you get in the Sierras. But yeah, very warm. And then uh, that was nice about getting into camp each day by about 4 p.m. that we could, we did have a swim every night before uh, we got into our tents and ate. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty enjoyable experience, really. Nice, nice. And then, um, yeah, so day two, Moraine Lake. Uh, and then day three was a pretty big push um, to... Uh, Junction Meadow, um, which was our day free camp. Um, this was a really fun day. Um, this was a pretty tough day because we descended um, all the way down to something like 6,000 feet. So we had to descend 3,000 feet before then rising up another 2,000 feet uh, pretty much in the same day. So um, so leaving Moraine Lake, you're pretty much on a downhill straight away. And um, you're going down into uh, Kern Canyon at this point, um, which is pretty much just a, a bigger Yosemite Valley. Um, so a lot of very similar scenes. You could kind of just like wake up from a nap and probably think you're in Yosemite. Um, very pretty. Uh, it was Kern Canyon. Uh, huge, huge Kern River flowing through there. Um, and we with, that, that, with that amount of descent and then ascent, you, you get to use all the muscles in your body. Exactly, yeah. Finally giving <laughs> a good workout just from climbing from the first uh, first two days, which is nice. Um, oh, and I should, yeah, I should mention uh, Rattlesnake, uh, Rattlesnake Creek which is on the way uh, down into Kern Canyon. This is about two miles uh, hiking on the third day. And um, we heard a rattle um, very, very close to us and uh, didn't take long to find it about two meters away from us. Um, I think it was probably about a six foot long rattlesnake, um, just kind of lurking under the bushes, um, which definitely kind of uh, shook us awake into the fact that we are still in nature. Because um, except for the bear on day one, we hadn't really run into anything that you know we'd worry about um except for the deer so yeah that was a, a good reminder uh and also at this point we we're probably the furthest away from the start of the trail and the end of the trail so the worst possible point if you were to get bit um so we were pretty pretty nervy for that morning uh going down and we actually ran into another rattlesnake 10 minutes later um again probably a five foot long one this is i've never seen rattlesnakes personally before this so to see two huge ones uh yeah that was interesting for me to see. Um, definitely more scared of those than a lot bigger, a lot bigger things you get out there. I was going to ask you, what are you, what are you more scared of, rattlesnakes or bears? 
Oh, definitely, definitely rattlesnakes. Yeah, I would, I would agree uh, with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I put a I put a grizzly at the top of the pile and then a rattlesnake, but uh, yeah, a black or brown bear wouldn't mind. Uh, rather take them any day. <laughs> yeah, I talked to, to uh, Keith Foskett a while back about his PCT trip, and oh yeah, that was one of his big concerns. One of his big fears was rattlesnakes, but then he said that he. He learned not to worry about them. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. How you, how you learn yeah, not to worry no, about that them. Was, uh, no, that was for me. I was, yeah, pretty much on edge until we kind of got out of that particular section. Um, and it was only after that we realized that that section of the trail was called Rattlesnake, uh, Rattlesnake Creek. So I guess it is uh, aptly named. Um, but, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of solar hikers um, with uh, earbuds in, listening to music or listening to podcasts, I guess, while they're on the trail. So, um yeah i definitely see how people can run into trouble pretty easy um out there yeah probably um, listening to the to the john freaking mirpod exactly yeah getting uh getting lost away in it yeah <laughs> um so yeah that was uh i don't know i don't know if i call that a highlight but one of the more exciting parts of the trail as well um seeing a few rattlesnakes um yeah especially coming from england um yeah it's uh, it's kind of a world away really you don't really uh, have anything like that to worry about at all in england um so yeah, cool experience for me to see, and Casper as well, coming from England. And then, um, and then, kind of a respite from that was getting to the hot springs in uh, Kern Canyon. Um, this is a really cool little natural feature, um, right next to the freezing cold uh, Kern River. You just got a couple of a uh, couple of hot spring pools that uh, pop up as well, um, which was really nice. So we made the most of that, and probably spent uh, a few hours there having a bit of lunch and kind of just. Uh, going in the hot water, then going in the cold water, doing a bit of uh, muscle treatment, which helped. You spent a lot of time on this trip in the water. Dude, we did. I know. I wasn't expecting it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it really made it really made the trip kind of more of a, definitely more of a holiday than a, than a trick, I would say, actually, which was nice. Um, nice. It was a good way to break up our travel each day as well. Um, and it really did, uh, really did help us with the muscles, I think, as well. Okay. And so did you camp near the hot springs? Uh, we had about another two miles to go, I think, from the hot springs. Um, so it was, we got there pretty early in the day, actually, uh, which was nice. That's why we spent so long. And then it was only maybe two and a half, uh, maybe maybe max three miles to our uh, Junction Meadow campsite um, for that night, which was nice. Um, and actually, that, that evening was the only time that we really uh, ran into mosquito trouble. Um, that was kind of the big thing going on to this trip that I was kind of not, not worried about, but I was expecting uh, was to run into mosquitoes probably uh every evening or every afternoon um and we only had a couple we had a few bothering us at uh the trailhead at crescent meadow um but not until we hit junction meadow um did we really run into a pretty big swarm of them um and that was right near where we were camping as well which was a bit of a pain um but yeah that's kind of what i hear from everybody in previous years that the mosquitoes are terrible on the high sierra trail um but yeah, we got very lucky, probably with the uh, the low snow uh, the low snowpack this year as well. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, did your other buddy? Did he pick up a trail name on this trip? He did. Um, yeah. So Hilden picked up the trail name uh, Doctor Doolittle. Um, unfortunately, not because he liked animals, but uh, rather he had a few. He was not fond of the deer in particular, um, so he did his best to kind of. Uh, shoot them away um, but they definitely kept coming back um, and yeah he, uh, he had a few he seemed to they seemed to be more interested in him than us actually um, so yeah we gave him that trail name um, yeah he was definitely definitely not a fan of a deer 
Now, so he, Holes, Dr. Doolittle, and did you yeah. earn a trail name this time? Because I think last time we talked, you had not yet picked up yeah. a trail name. No, yeah, I did. Um, I picked up the trail name uh, Bear Bait. And this, <laughs> was actually, and this was actually from uh, Whitney Portal um, with the bear because um, he was attracted to what I had left in my truck bed. Um, so I took my food over to that uh, bear box and I think I'd left pretty much just kind of like, uh, I think it was just a Gatorade actually, just in a bag in the, in the truck bed. And as soon as I came back, he was had like two hands up on the, on the tailgate and he was trying to clamber up in there and he was trying to snatch the, the bag of Gatorade. So uh, I picked up, the, picked up that name before we even started hiking. He obviously needed some electrolytes. Absolutely, I know. Yeah, it's all thirsty work trying to steal people's food. <laughs> so holes, Doctor Doolittle, and bear bait. Bear bait, yeah. And nice. I think uh, coll- collectively we had, uh, as a group, we had the trail name the College Boys as well, um, which uh, somebody gave us as well uh, when we ran into them because uh, two of the other guys would come with one night uh, talk to somebody else about us that we were on the trail, mm-hmm. just because there was honestly so many, so few people that year that um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Okay. So where do you go from, from, uh, is it Junction Meadow? Yes. Junction Meadow. Um, so right out of there, uh, you get to kind of the tip of Kern Canyon at this point. Um, so you pretty much have a lot of climbing to do. So I think we had about, um, 3000 foot of climbing to do on the fourth morning and probably after about, uh, four and a half miles, you actually join onto the JMT. So this is where you get the high Sierra trail, uh, JMT junction. And it was crazy because as soon as we hit, um, the GMT, it was, it was like a highway of people. I couldn't believe it. Like we'd seen about five people in three days on high Sierra Trail. And in the first 10 minutes, we saw 12 people at least, um, on the GMT going south, north. Like, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy to see actually. Um, that was interesting. So, yeah. So high Sierra so Trail is, is much less traveled than, than GMT. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, yeah, I was very surprised by just how few people we did see on high Sierra Trail, probably, uh, because most people didn't want to drive 27 hours or even longer. Um, yeah. Whereas a lot of people were probably <laughs> getting out, uh, probably getting out on the GMT cause they'd, uh, I think the, the parks had only opened uh, a couple of weeks before this. So I think a lot of people were finally excited to get out there. Um, yeah. And then, so as soon as we'd, uh, hit the junction with the GMT, then we, uh, I think we had about seven miles of hiking to do. This was our shortest day, probably at about uh, 11 miles we had to do for the day, which was nice. Um, and from there, uh, we made it down to um, Guitar Lake, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is about, uh, which is the highest point we, uh, you will camp on the High Sierra Trail, which is about 11.5, I believe. Um, and I think we rolled in there pretty early, uh, by about 2 p.m. Um, but definitely the, uh, the elevation at this point, you can, the weather starts changing. Um, a lot. This was the only afternoon I think we got um, some thunder and some clouds rolling in, and um, we actually had a bit of rain up there as well. Um, so yes, the, things are getting a little interesting uh, by the time you get up to uh, Catal Lake, and the temperatures are dropping quite a bit as well. Um, so it does it does feel very different to kind of the first couple of days we had. And so, uh, so was this day four? Yes, this is day four. Yeah, day four. So you said so, you guys camped at Guitar Lake, and you guys didn't want to do a uh, sunset summit of Whitney and then down into yeah, we, portal at midnight? Yeah, you know, uh, we midnight? thought about it. Yeah, we, we <laughs> definitely thought about it because it, it was, it didn't take us that long to reach um, Guitar Lake. I think it was probably, yeah, by about 2 p.m. So we definitely could have uh, potentially have made it. Um, but I think all things considered, we, we made the right decision to uh, spend the night and spend the afternoon up at 11,000 feet um, because all of us pretty much didn't really run into any uh, altitude problems when we decided to go up Winnie the next morning, which was nice. Um, 
it was definitely on the back of my mind because it would be the would be the highest highest I've been in California and having suffered at much lower elevations, I was definitely apprehensive. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the high Sierra Trail really sets you up nicely because you spend you know anything from between like four to seven days, depending on how far you're hiking, at a pretty good elevation camping each night. So sets you up well. Right. It's a good distance too. I think, you know, 70, 70, just over 70 miles is that's, that's doable. That's a, it's a feeling of accomplishment and yet it's not going to take up, you know, two, yeah, three exactly. weeks of your time. Yeah. That's what I really enjoyed about it. Um, yeah. I mean, you could do it over a weekend and you, know, you pretty much just take, if you're working, you can take just a couple of days vacation potentially and get it done. Um, and yeah, so yeah, a lot of people have to plan a long way out for the GMT because of, uh, work responsibilities, et cetera. Um, but this can definitely be much more uh, manageable to do this trip. Yeah. What did you think about the top of Whitney and, and the hike to get up there? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty brutal to be honest. Um, the switchbacks just to get up from Guitar Lake uh, were pretty tough. And then on your way down to Whitney Portal, there's the, the 99 switchbacks. We probably did something like 130 switchbacks for the day. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't too bad. It was, it was pretty slow going. Um, we, we made sure we t- uh, took quite a few breaks on our way to the summit. Um, we left uh, we left in the dark uh, just as the sun was starting to come up. So um, we made sure to do it before the heat got there. And I think we probably from Guitar Lake, so at about 11.5. Um, so it's, you know, it's about still 3,000, um, 3,000, well, two, 3,000 foot of climbing to do. Took us a couple of hours. And I think we reached uh, Whitney Summit by about... Um, probably about 8 a.m., which was still pretty nice. Um, early morning sun creeping up nicely. Um, but, yeah, pretty pretty tough. Um, it, it wasn't really – have you been up Whitney yourself? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised by kind of how little a trail there was, especially on the last couple of – the last kind of thousand feet. It's kind of just like stumbling across big boulders. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, after – I mean, the High Sierra Trail, it's so – it's almost, I mean, it's so smooth, honestly, most of it. It's It's not really like you're – going up steps a lot of the time which some trails are it's it's a very nice uh smooth trail to go on so it was kind of a shock for us that we now have to start kind of clambering and uh using our quads a bit more um so that was pretty tough going and uh yeah our feet were pretty tired at this point so it made kind of stepping had to be a little more careful we didn't want to roll an ankle at this point um yeah how was so, your speed at fourteen thousand feet yeah pretty slow <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it definitely yeah, definitely the best I've ever felt at that elevation, which was which was nice at least. Um, and we were we were definitely moving faster than some people, but definitely moving slower than others. Um, there was a few uh, day hikers that were going out pretty quickly in the very light day packs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually did, there there is that option to leave your backpack at um, kind of the junction where the trail comes up from Whitney Portal and then goes to the summit where it meets up with the GMT and we did most people were leaving their backpacks, but uh, we kind of wanted to carry our backpacks right to the top to say we'd say we'd done it so that made us a little slower as well um <laughs> getting to the top um but yeah, yeah awesome yeah felt awesome mostly to, to reach the summit um and it was a nice clear day we could see all the way pretty much right pretty much pick out where we've been for the, the last couple of days you could kind of see a bit of Kern canyon and you could see a bit of the great western divide so that finally at that point gave us kind of scale of what we just uh crossed and the mountain range we come across um which was awesome yeah, it's a great sense of accomplishment seeing seeing that distance and knowing that you've been on every inch of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. Um, and then actually going down from Whitney, I think we spent about an hour at the top just to kind of relax and take it all in before heading down. Um, we kind of just assumed it would take us a couple of hours to get down because I think it's about it's about seven miles. So we kind of figured we'd be going down pretty fast. 
uh, we'd be pretty excited to get off the trail. Um, but actually, it took us it took us a long time. Um, we didn't really realize how brutal that trail is uh, going down. Um, all the steps that there were uh, made it all pretty slow. All of our knees at this point were getting a little bit tired. Casper had a little more of a knee, knee trouble than us. He had a bit of a brace on. Um, but it definitely, yeah, we kind of figured it'd be one of those kind of trails where you could kind of almost jog down on the way back. But it really, it was really slow going and pretty tough. And uh, I had a couple of bad blisters at this point as well. And every step was was kind of painful. So, yeah, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really ruin the day. But it was, uh, we were definitely glad to get down at the end. And uh, yeah, it, it, it never seemed like uh, the parking lot was going to reach us at Winnie Ball because you have to, in the valley, go all those switchbacks and you. You can see the the roadway in the distance and uh, the valley all the way down the bottom. But yeah, never never seemed like it would come. I feel your pain. I know exactly what you're talking about. That last the last few miles yeah. down to Whitney Portal, you you're right. You think you can, you're gonna get there in no time because it's downhill and yeah. It's, but you have to watch every single footfall. There, it is not Absolutely. an easy trail. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, mentally tough as well because before we used to kind of just looking ahead of the trail where we want to hike, but uh, this time we pretty much had our eyes locked down, making sure we didn't want to fall over at this point, having come so far and get yeah. an injury now. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. Um, and also on the way down uh, to Whitney Portal, there's also a rock fall um, to our right, which was uh, kind of another reminder that we're uh, you know we're out in nature again. Um, um, a little scary because they had the they had the rock falls back in I think June from the kind of the earthquake they had, oh, uh, which was right. the Whitney yeah. Portal. Um, you mm-hmm. could actually see the destruction it caused near the parking lot, the boulders that came down. Um, but it sounded like a uh, like a jet aircraft had flown over the canyon, which was like the sound of the initial noise. But then we we just looked to our right as the dust was starting to appear, and you could just see this boulder tumbling down, setting off like another ten boulders, and then those boulders setting off new boulders. And um, it's it's a pretty scary noise. Um, yeah, and it really made us stop in our tracks and, you know, kind of see what was happening. And yeah, it's, and the trail goes fairly close to the sides of those that ravine because it's quite a quite a tight ravine. Um, so yeah, that was kind of just a reminder on the final day that we weren't quite out of the woods yet, and uh, we had yeah. to get back to the car still. Yeah, um, well. So Bearbait, what what was the highlight of the trip? I'd say let's see. I like the trip. Probably the swimming every night was pretty nice. Um, the hot springs was was pretty awesome. Just out in out in the middle of nowhere um, was a really cool experience uh, to be able to enjoy that. Um, I'd say the stars every night as well was a was a good highlight. We had beautiful uh, clear evenings. So I took my camera out a few times around 10 p.m. Um, having gone to bed at about 8 p.m., I uh, struggled to pull myself out of the tent because I wanted to try and take a few photos of the stars. Um, so that was uh, that was a cool experience just to be out there with so few people around us and uh, such great night nice sky views. Um, nice. I think that's cool. that's a that's possibly a very good pro tip. It, it, it's a struggle to make it past uh, hiker midnight. It uh, is. Yeah. Sometimes I would never see the night sky. So maybe the pro tip <laughs> yeah. is to go ahead and and go to sleep, but set an alarm to wait to wake that's, up and and see the night sky. That's exactly. Yeah, I uh, I intended to do that every night, um, and I failed on the first two nights. Uh, I've been so tired, so uh, I was I pretty much carried my heavy camera for the whole trail. So I was wasn't gonna waste an opportunity to use it. So I made sure that I uh, made sure I get up at least that one night to get out and check out the stars. And so for Holes and Doctor Doolittle, was this their first overnight backpacking experience, or had they done something like this before? No, they both um, they both have a uh, pretty good experience backpacking. Okay. Um, so Holes, he uh, he done quite a bit of backpacking back in England when he was younger, and he's also done uh, a few trips in Europe. Um, 
I think he had a pretty memorable backpacking experience in Romania, actually, with a friend. Uh, we were talking about that quite a bit on the trail, um, where they ran into some uh, Romanian black bears and some uh, pretty large dogs out in the kind of the middle of nowhere. So he said, uh, this was actually though his first um, first American backpacking trip. He'd been uh, he moved to California about uh, 15 months ago and uh, hadn't kind of found a group or uh, to get out with on the trail. So um, this was his first uh, trip in the Sierra and uh, first trip back back in California. So he had a really good time. Nice. And then uh, Dr. Doolittle, um, he's also done uh, quite a bit of backpacking. He did the Tahoe Rim Trail, um, I think last year. And he also actually had plans to do the GMT this year. Um, but because uh, he had to relocate to Seattle recently for work, um, that didn't work out for him either. <laughs> okay. So any final thoughts on the High Sierra Trail? It's uh, if you want some solitude and uh, you want to run the risk of maybe losing a shirt or some shoes, then uh, definitely go for it, I think. Um, yeah, no, it's a great trail. Um, and anybody thinking of doing longer trips in the Sierra as well, I definitely recommend uh, them to check this one out. I think if you've been doing kind of overnight trips um, and maybe you don't want to jump into something like the GMT, which is quite a big ordeal, then definitely uh, check this trail out, I think, because it's uh, it's definitely doable without too much training, I think, as well. I hadn't really, I'd intended to do quite a bit more training for the High Sierra Trail, uh, but uh, didn't, yeah, I didn't quite get around to it, unfortunately. So, uh, but luckily, shaped that up pretty good. And you do not get cheated uh, from the sites either. There, there's a lot to see out on the on the High Sierra Trail. Exactly. Yeah, you really get a per mile. It's probably they say the JMT is kind of per mile one of the best uh, trails in the U.S. But I think the High Sierra Trail is definitely up there just as much because um, you cross all those different regions from the sequoia trees to the valleys and up on the um, 12,000, 14,000 foot. So, yeah, for for five days of hiking, you really uh, feel like you're in. You cover a few different uh, locations. So I know that the John Muir Trail is still in your sights. You want to get that done. But I, I hear that you're also planning a bikepacking trip on the, the uh, is it the Colorado Trail? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So sadly, GMT is not going to happen this year now. Um, and now I guess I have a decision for uh, 2021 as to what my big trip of the year is going to be. Um, it's kind of normally how I try and do it every year. I have one big adventure. Um, so it will be... It would be cool to do GMT, but I've also uh, got interested in, I do a lot of biking, um, much more than hiking, actually, because it's uh, a little easier to do than getting up into the mountains where I live. Um, and I've recently decided to combine uh, backpacking and biking together um, into bikepacking, uh, which I've been very uh, keen to try out for quite a long time and finally got the opportunity to do it uh, uh, this last weekend um, up in San Francisco. Um, and yeah. The Colorado Trail, which uh, a lot of people hike, but it's also a very bikeable trail, which not something we can really really have in California too much. The PCT and GMT, I don't think bikers are particularly allowed on the majority of sections of it. Um, so, yeah, the Colorado Trail, I think, being about uh, 500 miles along um, would take, I don't know how many days it would take me to hike, but uh, quite a few. So one way to kind of save on time and do some other trips in the year would be to, to bike it in less time, I think. So are you going to you going to do the entire the entire 500 miles on bike? Uh that's the plan, yeah. Um and about how long and, how long will that take you? Um I would probably cycle around 40 to 50 miles a day. So anything from about 
eight to 12 days, I would imagine. Um, probably going to be looking at doing 10 or 11 days, I think is a good, uh, a good guesstimate. Okay. Yeah, it, seems, yeah. uh, it seems pretty intense. Um, but I think it'd be, I think it'd be really fun. Um, kind of watched a few YouTube videos of some guys that have done it. Um, we kind of uh, vlogged the whole thing and it looks like a really, uh, really cool experience. Um, definitely a tough one. A lot of it's spent above 11,000 feet, um, the whole trail. So when you, I think there's about 11 mountain passes above 13,000 feet that you have to cross. Um, so there's a lot of the hiker bike <laughs> over some sections as well. Um, so it'd be, it'd be an interesting experience. Um, but it does come down into a few uh, kind of large towns, the trail, which is nice. So I guess you could always spend a, spend a night in a hotel if you wanted and uh, have a nice dinner here and there and kind of restock on food. So yeah, sounds like a, sounds like a cool experience. Nice. And um, do you actually wear a backpack while you're biking or are mo is most of your gear in the saddlebags on the bike? Yeah, ideally you wouldn't have a backpack just because of the, uh, the pressure it would put on your back which would make it pretty uncomfortable. I think you could, you could get away with wearing a, um, a very small backpack, maybe with a hydration bladder in, mm -hmm. but you really don't want to be doing much more weight than that. So, um, uh, so a lot of people do this travel uh, on a mountain bike because it, uh, it is pretty rocky. Um, so you want to have a frame bag, uh, which fits in kind of in the frame of your mountain bike uh, around the suspension. So you can uh, pack a lot of your equipment into there. And then you'll also have a handlebar bag as well, um, probably with your tent in. And then uh, if you can, probably a saddlebag. Um, so you can get, uh, I have like a 17 liter saddlebag right now, which uh, comes out the back and that's, that's good enough for me to get a sleeping bag and a couple of uh, clothes and a jet boil in there. So I was just going to ask, are, I recognize jet boil. Are all the, is the equipment for backpacking mutually exclusive to bike packing equipment or is there some crossover there? I would say, yeah, largely there is a lot of crossover. Um, I think Big Agnes, which is kind of known for their bikepacking equipment, they do have uh, bikepacking specific tents, um, but I, I'll probably just use my uh, Big Agnes kind of ultralight bikepacking one first anyway, because there does seem to be kind of minor differences and it's, it's kind of so small and light anyway at this point. Um, but I think they are designed slightly differently. I'm not quite sure the ins and outs of them, um, where they would be better potentially for, for biking, but uh, a lot of people kind of go for more of a top uh, top setup as well, just to save on weight, um, which I could definitely see in being useful. But uh, I think the Colorado Trail is notorious for uh, afternoon thunderstorms um, in the summer, which is kind of the best time to do this trail. So, yeah, I could see a good a good shelter being necessary for this one. Yeah, and the tarp won't keep the rattlesnakes out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that, um, yeah, it's pretty similar. I'll be taking, uh, probably be taking the same sleeping bag as if I was backpacking, maybe a slightly smaller one if I can get away with it. Um, and then, yeah, you have your uh, stove unit as well, whatever you would use for backpacking. You, ideally, ideally, everything as small as possible because, yeah, you want like a 50, 60 liter backpack uh, if you're going hiking, backpacking, but for backpacking, you're already, uh, you are reduced on size. Um, so, yeah, you already got to kind of pack as lightly as possible. Um, so that'd be, that'd be an experience kind of doing a lot of uh, shakedown trips for that, I think, to get sorted. Um, yeah, yeah that, I don't think that'd be something I can just uh, go on on a whim. That's, uh, I think it would yeah, be a very different experience without having some good practice for this one. Right, and you did have a bikepacking experience over a, over a weekend, your first one, right? Your first bike bikepacking did, yeah. experience? Yeah, it was, uh, it was about as tame as you could get, but uh, it was still a good experience at least to kind of uh, put all the bags on the bike and uh, see what it was going to be like. Um, so my girlfriend and I, we headed, uh, we headed to San Francisco, um, uh, Marin County, which is just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. 
which is actually is a, it's a very cool hiking area and a biking area. Um, I think so it's we, on, I think it's on fire right now. It is sadly. Yeah. I think we, uh, we just, we just got out of there before, uh, yeah. it was getting worse and it's now obviously covered in smoke and an orange glow that you see all over the internet right now. Um, yeah. did your girlfriend, we, did your girlfriend enjoy the, the bike packing? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was kind of different to, definitely different to any backpacking we've ever done before. Um, we, we slept on a beach. Um, I believe it's called uh, Tennessee Valley beach, uh, in Marin County. Um, kind of seemed the best the best place to go and we, we hadn't really we didn't have any kind of sleeping pads at this point because the uh the hiking ones were too big so it was uh it was a pretty rough night i would say um <laughs> i never really uh never really camped at the beach um but the, the sound of the waves definitely kept me awake being not used to that i think and um i kind of assumed there would be nobody else there as well because it was i think it was about three miles from any kind of trailhead um so i didn't really figure there would be any hikers or anything but there was definitely some people uh there way into like the early hours of the morning kind of uh hanging around so i guess i was a little on edge with with the bikes being there because uh it's kind of a different strange experience having the bikes outside the tent you kind of just assume that no one's gonna steal them during the night so it's uh, i think that's something i'm gonna have to get used to with bikepacking is kind of just trusting the bikes are gonna be there when you wake up in the morning so what i'm hearing is that other than not having a sleeping pad and uh, being uncomfortable and the, the noise of the waves keeping you up all night and the strangers lurking about uh, nearby. Other than that, it was just, it was oh, fantastic. Other than that, yeah, couldn't, couldn't afford it. Yeah. Oh, I guess there was a, a pack of, uh, pack of coyotes as well that were howling away, uh, keeping us up as well. Um, and the kind of the, the mysterious, mysterious ocean noises as well that uh, you can kind of hear throughout my night. But, um, apart from that, yeah, would definitely recommend it. <laughs> it's quite the endorsement, Rob. It is, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised more people don't do bikepacking. <laughs> All right. Hey, where Rob, you know where we are right now? Uh, I don't. Where are we? We're at the pro tip inside of the week. All right. Perfect. Um, yeah, this is, this is an interesting one, I think. Um, I think the pro tip has to, has to come from the bikepacking, I think, to be honest. Um, I think probably main pro tip would be... Uh, yeah, always, uh, always carry sleeping pad. To be honest, um, it's you can't you can't uh, underrate them. Um, a good night's sleep. Um, yeah, and I think if we were doing a multi-day trip, having had that night's sleep, I don't think uh, I don't think either of us would have been particularly happy about it. So, yeah, probably always research the spot you're gonna try and camp at, perhaps, and uh, yeah, be ready to, yeah. Very good. And do they make different uh, sleeping pads for bike packing? Um, I'm Something not sure that will fit into the pack, or well, I think um, the majority of people just take blow-up sleeping pads, which mm. I think is the move. So I use uh, I use kind of the, the larger fold-out one uh, when I backpack, um, and I've I've used blow-up uh, sleeping bags in the past, but I think I've made the mistake of always buying the cheap ones, and they they get a hole like on the third time that I use them. So I've been reluctant to buy one since. But uh, I think for any more bikepacking adventures, I'll have to just shell out a little more and get a, a pretty decent one from RAI or something, and. Uh, yeah, I think that'll help a lot. Okay, so pro tip is don't scrimp on the blow-up uh, sleeping pads and exactly. w- when you go bikepacking. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Very good. And hey, I, di- I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have something else you wanted to share about that trip? Uh, no, I think that was it. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, quick adventure. <laughs> well, very good. I can't wait to hear about your, your big trip next year on the Colorado Trail. Definitely have to get back with us and, and let us know how that goes. Definitely, yeah. I hope uh, I hope everything uh, 
COVID wise and world wise will allow that um, allow everybody to do some good traveling next year. Yeah. Any any short trips coming up over the winter? Um, have a let's see. Um, yeah, a few a uh, few mountain biking trips. Um, I look forward to doing kind of more uh, car camping mountain biking trips in California. Um, and actually, uh, um, Holes and I will be going up to visit Dr. Doolittle in uh, his new home in Seattle. Hopefully, uh, next month, um, I'm going to hang out with him and. Uh, I think we're going to try and check out uh, North Cascades uh, Olympic and Rainier National Park uh, while we're up there, if uh, conditions allow and smoke allows. Nice. Well, that we'll definitely stay in touch and see how those trips go and, and have you back on to talk about them. Perfect. Yeah, I look forward to it in another uh, 17 episodes. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 35 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time catching up with trail correspondent Rob, now known as Bear Bait. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Rob, remind our listeners again how they can keep up with you on social media and where they can find updates on your latest adventures. Yeah, you can follow me on uh, not just one, but two Instagram accounts. Um, there's at Rob Lundell underscore photography uh, for more of my uh, kind of backpacking um, photos from my DSLR camera. Um, and then more of kind of a, a fun kind of cycling uh, slash informal Instagram at rblundell93. Uh, we can kind of see a bit more of the the joke behind some of the trips that I do. Nice. And you will make sure to send us a bunch of pictures that we can post on social media leading up to this episode, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll send you a photo of our very uh, comfortable beach and uh, a couple of my favorite photos from the Sierra Trail. Nice. Hey, remember to check out the John Freaking Mirpod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Right, Rob? Absolutely. We don't need to hear about that. That's right. That's a wrap from the John Freakamere Studio. Any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts? I'm going to go uh, buy a blow-up uh, sleeping mat tomorrow, I think, and uh, maybe get a good one. <laughs> All right. Good idea. Hey, it was great talking to you, Rob. Really enjoyed it. You too, Doc. Take it easy. Yep. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock.